off with a story. I was walking down a hallway with my six-year-old son. Now, before we went into this building, I made a promise of ice cream afterwards. And so we're walking down the hall, and my son is looking around. He says, Dad, where are we? I said, we're in a hospital. And he says, why are we here? And we're still walking down the hallway. And I turn to him, and I'm thinking, okay, now is time to tell him. So I said, um, you're getting a shot. A look of panic, like, like sheer panic, went through my son's face, and he started to go, but you said ice cream, and Hall, I know, and, and I said, look, look, I, and I, I, you know, I bent down, and I said, I started to, to plead with him. I said, Ryan, listen, look, it's just a little shot administered by a tiny nurse, you will be just fine. So let's go. And he started to walk the other way. And I started to chase him down, and he started to walk more, and I didn't really know what to do. So I said, you, you stay right here. You, and I started to run to the clinic. Now I got in the clinic, and there was a long line. And I'm thinking, this is going to be a real problem. So I went right up to the front, the receptionist, and I said, I, you know, I was in shock too. I said, my son, I, ice cream, long line problem. And so she looked at me and she said, you are going to wait in line like everyone else. I said, okay. So I went back to my son in the hallway. My son is like at the door. You know, he's like about to run outside. I said, Ryan, no, 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 no. And I didn't know what to do, so I... I picked him up, and he started to scream, right? And he started to, like, flail his body and hold on to anything he could hold on to, trash cans, doorknobs, old ladies, you know? And then I'm running down the hallway. I finally make it to the clinic through the door. Again, Ryan is screaming his head off like I was lighting his toes with a match or something. And he's just like screaming. The lady at the front looks at me and says, yes, um, why don't you come right here to the front? Come right to the front. Come right to the front. I go to the front, the receptionist, go to the technician. I'm like holding out his arm, right? And he gets a shot by a nurse that wasn't very tiny. And, uh, and so I looked at him. I said, and then, and right? You know, and dad loves you, and we're going to get ice cream now, and then, and next time you go to get a shot, you know, mom's going to take you, you know, and, <laughs> and it was, it was, it was, it was fine, it was fine. Now, for those of you who are uh, tracking with us in this series on First Peter, you know why I'm telling the story. This, this book, this letter is written to a community who's going through some suffering, you know, and, and maybe you can relate to my son as he was going through that dark hallway and just feeling like, no, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And then you have Heavenly Father's like, no, this is good for you. You need to go. And you're like, no, I don't understand how this is good for me. I don't want to go. Maybe you can relate to that. But I'm wondering if some of you don't, feel like this story really measures up to what you're going through. 
I wonder if some of you feel like, look, your son got a pinprick. I'm not going through something that registers like a pinprick by a tiny nurse. By the way, you lied. It wasn't a tiny nurse, you know. Maybe some of you feel like, look, I got kids in the house and they're just out of control. Or maybe some of you guys feel like at work, your situation is out of control. It's an oppressive environment. You feel like you're being crushed. I wonder if there's some of you, I wonder if there's a lot of you who kind of feel like, you know, when I was younger, I always thought that at a certain age, I would have this and that and this, you know, career and, you know, like, you know, you know family. And I'm now at that age. And I don't, I don't have that. And I wonder if some of you feel like, you know, your son had a vaccination, and it served some kind of redemptive purpose, right? I've been praying for something, and it was good. This prayer request was good, and it was not answered. Maybe this person died. I don't see the redemptive purpose. And so here we are. We're in this mess. We're in this dark hall. And what we got today is the final installment of First Peter. Peter is writing to this community that he dearly, dearly loves. They're going through suffering. They're being insulted. They're being mocked. They're going through some hard times. And Peter's like, okay, this is my final word uh, to this community. And it's the final word to us. So uh, if you go through this, we are going to go to Peter chapter 5. And we are going to go through this. We are going to go through this. Now, uh, what we've been doing during this series is, uh, from the pulpit, we've been going verse by verse. And I just want to point this out. For people who like topical, this is different, right? This, uh, this series is going to be really rich for people who are here and they're like, you know, I like topical, I'd like it to be relevant, but I want you to teach me the Word of God. And if you're here, you're like, yeah, I want you to go line by line well, good, because we've been going line by line. So hopefully when you leave out of here, not only do you feel like it's relevant, but you feel like, you know, I learned something about the Word of God. I know a little bit more about God's Word. So that's, that's why we're doing it line by line. Okay? All right. First Peter, final word of Peter to this community they love that's going through suffering. Um, I'm going to go through this relatively quick. Here it goes. Uh, the section we're covering, verses 6 to 11, is actually kind of like a fuller explanation of a proverb that is uh, referenced at the end of verse 5. So let me go to that proverb, uh, uh, kind of extract the principle, and then we're going to go line by line. Here, here's the proverb. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. No, I think uh, grace to the humble I think the community would have really resonated with being in a humble circumstance. And so I think the principle here is that if you want the grace, then you need to be humble. If you want the crown, then you need to go through the cross. If you want to get high, then you got to go low. And, and here's the principle, right? Okay, so now uh, verse by verse. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting 
all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now, I, I was thinking about this because I have friends and they're going through um, a really hard time. Like one friend in particular, just like really oppressive environment and work. And I'm thinking, what is, what is he thinking when he reads this verse? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Because he's thinking, look, my circumstances are already, already humbling me. So how do I humble myself in this humble circumstance? What am I called to do? How, what does that look like to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? What does that, what does that mean? What does that, what does that look like? So I, I, I went around. I did like a little survey. Some of my friends, you know. Some of my friends thinking back on some really hard seasons of life. And I, and I actually uh, talked to one of them and I said, listen, when you were going through this really hard time, and then I'm going to share this verse to you, and you explain to me what that means. So I said, uh, okay, you, you're going through that time. And then hear this. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. What does that look like? What does that mean, humble yourself? And then this person said, you know what that means to me? It means given to God. How do you like that definition? Give in to God. I had another person say it means you let go of your right to live a nice, comfortable life. You like that definition? You let go of your right, your, your insistence on the American dream to live this nice, comfortable life. Um, I, I read a book, and they defined it as um, submitted willingness. You like that one? Submitted willingness. Martin Luther defined humbling yourselves before the mighty be God. God be God. Let God be God. Maybe for some of us, here's the premier example. I, it wasn't hard to come up with this example. You know, here's what it looks like. It's Jesus Christ in the garden. And he knows that right around the corner is the cross. Now, in my interpretation, when I read the text, I feel like he doesn't want to be executed on that cross. He doesn't want to go there. But he knows it's God's will. And so, um, at, so if, it, it, it's like this, this wrestling match, I guess. And then there's, 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 he's like sweating blood. And it, at one like fateful moment, beautiful words, he says, God... Let not my will be done, but yours. And I, I think that's a beautiful picture of what it means to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. But here's the thing, here's the thing. I'm, I'm thinking of my friends again who are going through some hard times, and I'm thinking that they actually don't have any problem with humbling themselves. They're like, look, I, I don't have a problem with humbling myself, with bowing the knee. I'm okay with that. It's not so hard to bow. I think the hardest part is to wait. Can you guys relate to that? It's the waiting that I have a hard time with. So that at the proper time. I mean, I want that proper time to be like now or like tomorrow or yesterday. But sometimes it feels like it's months of waiting and bowing and years of waiting and bowing. And I want that proper time to be now. 
And, and I think the invitation is, can, can we humble ourselves, bow the knee, and wait? I don't even know what deliverance looks like. Yeah, can you trust that to God too? A lot of trusting, a lot of waiting. It's like you're putting your fate in his hands. Verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Um, if you look at this text, there is this two, I, I guess you could call them truths, you can call them doctrines. And if you really believe in these doctrines, then you can go through every day with no worries. You can go through every day with, um, I wouldn't say like no anxieties, but there would be a, a lot less anxieties and fears. I mean, you would face every day with a great sense of courage. And those two doctrines in here, number one is the mighty hand of God. You see that in the last verse. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It's the doctrine of God's sovereignty. It means that he is totally in control. He is in control of all things. He's the one that spoke the universe into existence with just a single word, right? Now, this is my theory. My theory is that people believe that, but they have a hard time. We're in the middle of just crazy stuff, believing the second part, which is the doctrine of God's love and care for you. And sometimes I feel like we're like, you know, I believe he's all-powerful, but I don't understand why he would put me through this, and he's putting me through this, and it doesn't feel like love and care right now. It doesn't feel that way. And so I, I wanted to um, just really think that through. God is totally sovereign, and he cares for you. And here is Peter saying, you should give him your anxieties because he cares for you. He cares so much about you. For Father's Day, I got a card from my daughter. She's six years old. And I uh, thought I might just go ahead and read it to you. Here it goes. Dear Daddy, I love you so much more than Mommy. Love, Noel. It's not what it says. I'm just kidding. Okay, here's what it really says. Uh, she wrote me this card, and it goes like this. Daddy, I love you so, 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 so much. I know it's really subtle. You have to, like, read between the lines. And that's, we're not done. We're not done. I like you so, 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 so much. You are the best, Dad. Happy Father's Day. Love, Noel. Now, my question is like, does God like look, I mean, he's all powerful and you're suffering. Does he just look at you? He's like, yeah, that, you know, Mark, he's okay. Diane, he, she's okay. Or when you read the scripture, is it like, no, no, no. God's like, no, I love you so, 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 so. I like you so, 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 so. Which one is it? Now, I, I, Peter doesn't go, go, go very far in this right now, but, but, but St. Paul in uh, Romans 8, 32, he, he goes deeper. It's called logic on fire. He goes, you, you need to know that God's so crazy about you. How do I know that? How, the cross. 
This is St. This is Paul. He goes, look, I want you to think about this. Now, I'm paraphrasing. This is Romans 8, 32. He goes, God gave up his son for you. That's how much he loves you. Now, now, reason with me, if he gave up his son for you, and his son means everything to him, that means there is nothing that he wouldn't give you that's for your good and his glory. Which means that this fiery trial that you're going through must have been given to you for your good and his glory. It must be. It must be for your good. And so you can entrust yourself to him because he cares so much about you. How do I know that from the cross? He cares about you. Ah, look at this one, though. Look at this one. First mention of the devil in the entire book. I'm pretty sure that's true. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings. In this, um, sometimes you've throughout the world. Uh, I just wanted to explain this. Um, sometimes you feel like you, you know what a word means just by the context, right? And so I've, so many times I've heard lion and prowling, and lions are aggressive animals. So prowling must, I just assume prowling must be like this, you know? I'm, I'm about to pounce on you, right? But then I did a funny thing. I, I checked up this word in the dictionary, and it doesn't mean that. You know what prowling means? It's not, I'm walking to you aggressively. Prowling is, it's, I'm walking very quietly for someone who is sleeping. And I'm looking around, at, you know, and uh, I'm looking for that vulnerable moment. And uh, I'm actually sowing a little bit of a lie in this person's ear. And then if that person actually believes that lie, that person swallowed up. Prowling is to like sneak around quietly so at the right vulnerable moment you pounce. Ah, that changes a few things, right? Doesn't it? Because if prowling is a walking aggressive, it's like, a prowling... I mean, he's right there, so obvious. But if he's prowling, then he's waiting for a moment where you are not aware that he's there, and he's sowing probably a lie, and you probably thought it came from yourself. What does that mean? Well, it's obvious what it means. Peter's like, that means you got to stay alert. You got to be watchful. You got to realize he does this. Do you realize? And he very quietly would just whisper a lie into your ear. Now, I've had friends, and I don't know if they would say, oh, yeah, it was satanic attack. But let me just give you some situations. You tell me. There, there was a, a woman that I know, and uh, uh, she waited uh, a bit later to have kids. And then uh, there was a miscarriage. A lot of pain. There's a lot of grieving. And there was a very vulnerable moment when there was kind of like a, a whisper of a voice. I'm sure she just thought it was herself, but the, the whisper was like, this one is on you because you waited. This one's on you. Now, I know it's a lie. 
I know God wouldn't say that. There's no condemnation for those who believe. There's no condemnation for those who, believe, who, who put their trust in Jesus. That's a lie. But, but a lot of times we don't know that he does this. We don't know that he does this. Uh, there is a, an, another time, uh, there's a man totally respected, really invested in ministry, really given his life. And he always thought that at a certain age, he would be married. And then he hit that age, and he wasn't married. And that wasn't right with him. And at, at, at some point, he was just reflecting and wondering. Now, I don't know where his thoughts ended and satanic thoughts began. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. But I think the thought progression was this. Look, you've given your life to God, and this is how he be- rewards you? You should be doing other things with your life with a greater payoff. Because this really is not paying off, and God does not know how to reward you. And so he, he actually just, he just gave up. He did. Now, there's two very subtle lies. Number one is that a spouse is going to do everything for you once you get that spouse. That a spouse is an is-all, end-all. And Raina will tell you that it's not true, you know. And the second thing is that God has failed you. You, get, you, have to, you have to beware. You have to beware. And you have to resist. You have to identify the lie. And you have to be on the lookout. And that's what Peter is saying. He is saying, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around um, stealthily around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Okay, right now, at this point in time, more true than ever, there are more Christians persecuted, insulted, and dying for their faith than at any other time in human history. Right now, this is very true. This has not gotten less true. This has gotten more true with the history of the world, okay? Verse 10, and after you have suffered, okay, now hold, what are the next three words? A little while, a little, now, <laughs> now just, I mean, there, there are people who are like, a little while? Peter? That's like grossly insensitive. I mean, a little while is like the time that it takes to heat up a hot pocket in the microwave. That's a little while. How long I get there? A little while. But I know some, I've been like months, years, really? A little while? That's very insensitive. That's insensitive. Or is it insensitive? Or what is Peter thinking? Uh, one dude I really love a lot is Francis Chan. And he wrote the marriage book, and uh, a, a marriage book. And in this book, he says, you know, a lot of people are thinking about the last 10 years of life. Oh, we got we to make preparation for the last 10 years of life because we got to have provisions for retirement. We got to do it. We got to work hard right now because the last 10. And then Francis Chan's like, what, 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 what? that's just crazy thinking. What about the first 10 millions of years of life? If anything, we should be thinking about that. What's the next 10 years or the last 10 years compared to the first 10 million? And here Peter's like, well, okay, maybe it's 10 years. It's probably like 10 days or maybe it's 10 months. But it's nothing compared to eternity. It's actually just like it's just a little while. 
It's a little while. A little while. After you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace. Who is able to sustain you in your darkest hour. And who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Will himself restore. Confirm. Strengthen and establish you. He will restore, confirm, and strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever and ever. Amen. All right. That was the teaching of the text. That was the last installment of 1 Peter. Um, there, there's, a, there's a little preacher inside me that wants to summarize everything, wants to package everything into like one main point because right now we got like five different points right and so i'm thinking okay what's the main point of this text what's what is the main point of this what's the main idea and i'm like oh yeah yeah, yeah. i think it's i think it's obvious and i started to realize you know i can actually take that main idea and put it into just one word and I'm thinking it's the one, I'm hoping it's the one word you'll take out of here and you, you know, you're in the car, someone said, what did Pastor Andrew talk about? And then you, you whip out the one word. I'm going to, I'm going to like give you the hand motion and you're going to tell me what that one word is, okay? Here it is, we're playing charades, okay? Here is the one word. What's the one word? Surrender. Did I tell you that before we, we... oh, it's Terry. Surrender. Surrender. It's right all over the text, right? You see that? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of surrender to his sovereignty. At his proper time, surrender to his timing. Cast your care, surrender your anxieties to him. What about the devil prowling around like a roaring lion? Okay, that part's not surrender. That's like fight. That's like fight. That's, okay, that one's different, right? You're surrendering to fight. And then again, it's just going to be a little while you're surrendering to eternal perspective. Now, when I hear the word surrender, this is what I think, okay? This is what I think. When I hear the word surrender, I'm thinking that you got this huge, heavy burden. You know, you got this huge, huge, heavy burden. And, and, and you want to, like, you want to, you want to, you want to cast it onto God, and of course God is up there. So you bring it past your chest, past your head, and you give it to God, and all of a sudden you feel this, woo, this release. Because you just gave that burden up to the person who can actually hold that, and then you're just like, woo, sweet surrender. It just released. Here's a picture that might inspire you. I took this two days ago. Doesn't that look like some sweet surrender right there? Don't you be, you just... Like surrendering to, you know, and, and sleeping. And there's a picture of my daughter. I think of another uh, word when it comes to surrender. I, I'm thinking, and I, I can relate to this, right? You, you, you're in something, and there's, there's something, and you're like, it's just not right for me to be here. I don't deserve this, right? And if you're a Christian, then the fight is, you know, it's like with, with God. You're like railing. And so you got this gun, right? And you're, you're fighting against God. And at a decisive moment, you realize, you know, I'm not going to win this. I'm not going to talk God into thinking things my way. I'm going to let God be God. So at that moment, you, you drop the gun, and you raise up your hands, and you say, okay, God, I surrender. 
Now, you, you've, been, you've been watching me do the hand motions. I know you guys are thinking, man, I want to stand up and do that. Well, hey, why don't we do that together? Why don't we all just stand up, okay? Now, just think that you have a heavy burden or you got a gun. Some of you are a little bit more militant. You got a gun. You got to drop the gun. No, let's just stand up. Come on. Let's stand up. We're going to do it together, okay? We're going to do it together because I know you really want to do it. We're going to do it together. It's going to feel good to stretch. Okay. Well, you, you got that gun. You got that burden. You're either lifting up to God. You're dropping the gun, and then you're just throwing up your hands in the air like you just don't, okay, no, that's a different thing, but okay. Feel good? Feel good? Okay, you put your hands down. And I just want you guys to remember, the word is surrender. You guys can sit down. The word is surrender. The word is surrender. And so when there's that moment when you're in a trial, you feel like, you know, I deserve better than this. You're just going you're gonna, to you're gonna surrender to the Lord. You're going to say, he knows best. This must be good for me and for his glory. I'm going to surrender to his sovereign plan. And then there's certain days, you know, like when you're going through something, we, we, okay, I just get really self-absorbed. All I can see, I live in this world of my own pain. And I'm just going to surrender to that way of thinking. You know, there's other people who, who are hurting. And I'm going to love them sincerely. I'm going to think about them and what they're going through. And then there's times you're just, you're just angry. You, know, you say you love me and you put me through this and you're just like, Lord, I need, gonna, I need some help on this one. I'm going to surrender my bitterness towards you. I'm going to trust you. And can you imagine just God saying, can you surrender? Can you humble yourself and trust me? And I'm going to bring uh, my sister-in-law to come up here. Um, M- Michelle uh, used to come to CLC. She used to serve on the worship team. Now she's living in Connecticut. Um, and she married my brother. That sounds kind of weird. Um, and she was going to get up here and say that uh, she didn't marry the better-looking brother. Um, it's but a smarter the, one. The smarter one with the higher-earning potential. And I said, please don't say that. And then, well, there, we said it. Okay. There you go. Uh, tell us your story, Michelle. Oh, man. Okay. Um, as Andrew mentioned, I am married to his brother, David, about... Six, seven years ago, we're actually living in Brooklyn, New York, and I was pregnant with my second child, and when she was born, I felt like our life, our family was complete, but about four or five months after she was born, I realized there was something kind of going on with her, and so we got her assessed, and we found out that she actually had a genetic disorder, and when I found out, I felt like someone just stabbed me right in the gut, and I was suffocating and drowning in quicksand, and I could not get out of it. I immediately fell into a deep depression and despair. I was so sad. And then I was scared. I was scared because I knew that her life would be tough and that she was going to struggle. And I was also scared what was going to happen to her when Dave and I died. We just want our kid to be okay. And then mixed in with that was anxiety. The anxiety kicked in. I've never really felt anxiety. And I was like, I can't handle this. I can't handle the therapies and doctor's appointments and all the things that were going to come at us. I don't think I can do this. So the way it displayed itself, for about three years, I was just, it ranged from thinking about, you know, jumping off the Brooklyn Bridge with Caitlin, because life for her would be far better in heaven with the Lord than here in this broken world to giving her way to maybe a family that I felt like could better take care of her than I could. 
And then the crying was just so incessant. From the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed, I was just in tears. And it wouldn't be uncommon for David to come home from the hospital different times of the day to see me sobbing in the middle of the floor in a fetal position, I remember this, knowing that I was probably crying there for one or two hours prior to him finding me. It was just a really dark, dark time. I was mourning. I was deeply mourning the hopes and dreams I didn't even realize I had held on so tightly about never seeing her get married or start a family. And then spiritually, oh, that was hard too. I had grown up in a Christian like many of you may have. And I know that God, by his word, can heal her. But there is nothing I could do to control that. I couldn't tithe more, serve more, read the word more, spend time with him for me to change his mind. He had his own timing, his own will, and he would do what he would do when he would do it. I knew God was sovereign, that he was in control of all things. And so if he gave us a child with special needs, and he wanted us to have a child with special needs, and honestly, I just was not okay with that. I was not okay with it. So when Caitlin was about three and a half years old, by then we were actually living in Connecticut. We had probably been there for about a year, and we had got plugged into a church and joined a small group and all that kind of stuff. And um, one night I was in bed, and I was crying out to the Lord like I usually did, just kind of letting it all go. And I was like, God, seriously? My kid is going to suffer and struggle, and you did this to her. If someone hurt my son or my daughter, I would totally go off on them. But you allowed this to happen. You allowed my daughter to be hurt, and you want me to be in a relationship with you? You want me to go to you and trust you with my heart and with my life? I can't do it. There's no way I can do it. Then on that night... From deep within, I heard, Michelle, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I created the oceans and the waves and the animals that live in the ocean and the earth and put the stars in its place and the sun? Have you ever seen darkness face to face or evil? And then when I heard that... I was like, oh, man, God just spoke to me like he spoke to Job in the Bible, chapter 38. And all I could do after a few moments of silence was just drop to my knees and repent and apologize and ask God for forgiveness because I had known, I knew, I knew at that moment that I had not been putting God in his proper place. But I had to be honest with him, too. I was like, God, I need you to help me. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be close to you in all of this. And I realized what I had to do was really just take all of my anxiety and fears and pain, IEP meetings and therapies, and Caitlin saying that she wanted friends, but she didn't know how to make friends, and take all of that stuff and just surrender it and just give it to God and just leave it at his feet and say, you know what, God, I'll do my part, but I need you to help me trust you and all of this kind of stuff. 
I'd say maybe about a year and a half or two years later, I was sitting in a small group, and we had to go around and share. And um, when I got to my turn, and they actually <laughs> would have a box of tissues ready for me, because I always shared about Caitlin, and I would always start sobbing. But um, for some reason, I was like, you know what? I'm not angry anymore. I'm actually totally okay. And that completely surprised me and David and my pastor and everyone else. And they were like, how, what happened? And I was, I said, I was like, I don't know what happened. I really don't know what happened. But reflecting back on it, it dawned on me. What was going on was I was actively surrendering. That daily, every moment, I was taking those thoughts and fears and everything that was coming up and just actively getting into the habit of just giving it to God. Not that I wasn't sad or scared and all that kind of stuff, but I was just actively doing it, mainly because of survival, because all the weight would have just crushed me. And at the same time, God was breaking me. He was breaking me of my pride, my sense of entitlement, the idea of what I thought my Asian-American Christian life would look like, along with jealousy, envy, and all those other things. And it was hard. It was painful, and it was hard. But he was changing me. If you look at Caitlin now, you know, when you first find out a diagnosis like that, you really do think of the worst-case scenario. And um, over the years, she's really changed, and she's really grown, and she's a total delight, and she has developed in ways that we didn't know that she would, but she still struggles and it's still hard. But I have to say in this story, the person who changed and grew the most was me. And I'm not perfect, I'm definitely not perfect. But I've learned that sadness and tears can really share the same space as happiness and joy and laughter. And I've learned to hold on to things very loosely because we're not really in as much control as we like to think we are. And I've also learned that when things don't turn out the way you expect, and there are things that happen that you just don't understand, that you do need to live by faith and not by sight, and that God is a God of love. And he does love me. He loves my family. He loves you guys, too. Thank you. This is, um, appropriately, the... the final story in our, in our series. And I, I think it's very appropriate that um, it should come from Peter himself. So, um, one day after Jesus resurrected from the dead, Peter was fishing. And uh, most of you know the story Peter, in his moment of testing when Jesus was arrested, oh man, he totally blew it. He disowned Jesus three times. Totally blew it. But then on this day, when he was fishing, Jesus went on the shoreline, and then Peter was by Jesus' side, and three times that Peter failed Jesus, Jesus very gently restored him. And he was saying, I still believe in you. You're still my rock. 
A lot of people don't know the story that happened after this one. But Jesus had some devastating news to give to Peter. And, um, and so Jesus said, Peter, you know, when you were a kid, you would uh, dress yourself. And uh, you would go and play wherever you wanted to play. But when you're older, you're going to lift up your hands. Someone else is going to dress you, take you to a place you don't want to go. Now, the text actually says that Jesus said this to show Peter the kind of death that Peter was going to glorify God with. What we don't know is how he responded, like, right afterwards. Like, how did Peter, like, how would you feel if you got news like that dropped on you? Like, he went, he went home, and we know that he was close with his wife. They would do ministry to, together, so I imagine they were close. She probably asked him, how was your day with Jesus? What do you think he said? What would you say? You know, I, I, I think he... I think I would just, sweetie, you probably want to sit down. You, let's sit, sit down. I was talking to Jesus today, as you know, and uh, he sort of uh, told me what's going to happen to me later on. Uh, he basically said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for, uh, I'm going to be killed for, uh, for bearing his name. And um, it means that at some point in the future, you're going to live life without me, and, you're, um, and the kids will be without me too. And I, they must have had that conversation. How did she respond? You know, I don't know. I, I, for the ministry afterwards, they would do it together. I, I think at some point she surrendered that bitterness. Maybe she was like, well, if, if we only have these few days... Let's make the most of it for God. She must have been an incredible woman. She was serving right by his side. I don't know. Is it going to be this year? I don't know. But let's live for God's glory. Is it going to be this year? I don't know. I don't know. And then about 10 years later, about 10 years later, things were getting really hot, uh, too much in, in Rome. You know, there's persecution, and, and it, just, it just wasn't a good situation. Christians, you got to get out. I'm sure Peter was saying, Christians, we got to get out. And so he was making preparations to go. He was leaving Rome, and then he had a vision. Now he's leaving Rome, and then he sees Jesus, and uh, Jesus is going the other way. And I imagine he's like, Lord Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus says, I'm going to Rome to be crucified again. Peter wakes up from the vision. He realizes it's time, the time that Jesus talked about. It's time. It's time. So he went back to Rome. He was arrested. He was sentenced to be crucified, and he was hanging on a cross. Now, no one plans this. Like, when I'm hanging on that cross, I'm going to be feeling X. No one. It just happens. And he's hanging on that cross, and he's overwhelmed with a certain kind of emotion. And from that emotion, he starts to cry out to the Roman soldiers who are, who are next to him. And what he cried out is, 
I am not worthy. I am not worthy. I am not worthy. He must have cried it like a lot of times. They probably got tired of him crying that out. I am not worthy to die the same way as my Lord. You want to just grant... I don't know, you hear that 50 times, you get tired of it. Maybe you're mocking him. You're, you want to just grant a dying man's request. And so they picked him up, the other picture, and they turned him upside down, and he died upside down. And now I want to end this series on these words of Peter from chapter 1, and it goes like this. It said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that cannot perish or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. So you stand firm. And let's pray. Uh, I, I think as a fitting response to the end of the series, would you all stand up? I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe there is something in your life and you feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to surrender that to God. Maybe you're walking down a, dark, a dark, very dark hall and there's all, there's all these mysteries, there's all these unknowns, you feel like it's out of control, and you just imagine God saying, I want you to surrender your fate, and trust me. And right now, if you know that God is speaking to you and there's something you want to surrender to him, would you just go ahead, and all eyes are closed, would you just go ahead and just lift up your hands? And we call this just a place of sweet surrender, and you can just say in your heart, God, I surrender blank, and you can fill it up that, in that blank, I surrender blank to you. What is that blank for you that you need to surrender? What is that heavy burden that you just want to cast upon God and say, here you go, just take it. Maybe it, there's like a gun that you had to drop and you say, Lord, I just surrender my life to you. And you just have a, a sweet moment with God just surrendering yourself, your life, whatever it is to him and to his glory. And I just remember Michelle saying, you know, I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need your help. And you can just ask God for his help. In this next season of life, I'm going to need your help, God. You can put your hands down. And in due time, in the proper time, he will lift you up. In Jesus' name we pray.